1: Welcome in. This is the Sunday Deep Dive episode. We got Brad Freeman on the show. I'm here with Ryan Henderson as always, and we're going to be talking about Duolingo. It is a new pre IPO stock. So we have the S1, we're going to play the valuation guessing game. But this was Brad's choice. This is a company you researched heavily, and you actually have them as your first stock you researched on your new Substack, which we'll make sure to link in the show notes. We'll put it under. Uh, it is, uh, another going to be another good resource for listeners out there, but Brad, how'd you find Duolingo and what inspired you to write that sub
0: Yeah. And thank you. Thank you so much for, for mentioning it. Uh, I had a lot of fun writing it. So hopefully people enjoy reading it and are interested, but, but for Duolingo, I mean, uh, someone honestly, I've, I've used the app for a few years. Um, and, and I just saw someone post the S1 on Twitter and that, that kind of, uh, led me into my, my deep dive down the rabbit hole on, on Duolingo. Um, to be candid with you all, as, as I say nice things about this throughout the episode, um, I do plan to buy shares at the IPO. I have applied on Robinhood for pre-IPO shares. Uh, that the, I agree the valuation is going to look like a guessing game, so I have no clue how large my initial purchase is going to be. But regardless, I'm gonna make. Uh, I'm I'm going to buy some. It it could be it could be a symbolic five percent of a full position if it gets ridiculous, like it could. But but just so you know, I will own shares.
1: All right. And that's good to know. And Ryan, we're going to talk about Duolingo. We'll let you kick things off. But first we have to talk about
2: our flagship sponsor for the Sunday episode, Potential Multibaggers. Yeah. So Chris runs Potential Multibaggers, a friend of the show. He's been on here before. We got a sign up uh, a while back and it's someone that says like, oh, I never do services or whatever, but I signed up for this one. It's totally worth it. Uh, So kind of if you're looking for anecdotal evidence, maybe a little confirmation bias, that push go sign up. This anonymous account said he did, so you should too. Uh, but the service itself, actually, uh, we found a lot of value in it and you, the goal of it is to find a st- stocks that can 10x in 10 years you kind of want to talk about some of his uh, examples? Yeah, so he's got
1: Shopify at 77, Cloudflare at 39, plenty of other picks, Okta at 64. These are going to be high growth names sometimes, and they might be a little bit riskier than your traditional S&P 500 index fund, but that's because they have tons of potential and he has a strong track record. And you're not only getting the research up front, but you're getting updates from what he calls buy and verify. He's constantly communicating to his members with him, himself, and then the team, Mark and Trung, that are under him as well. And if you want to become a multi, you can go to Seeking Alpha and look for From Growth to Value, Google it, or go to at From Value on Twitter. That is at F-R-O-M-V-A-L-U-E on Twitter. Check out the service. It'll help your research process. All right, Ryan, you want to introduce Duolingo.
2: Yeah. Uh, So for anyone that hasn't, Looked at the app before. Duolingo's mission is to develop the best education in the world and make it universally available. So basically, it's a mobile learning platform. And right now, it's tailored specifically to learning new languages, although we'll get into some of the other parts of the business. Um, So their flagship Duolingo app has more than 500 million total downloads and 40 million roughly monthly monthly active users. So basically, the way it works is you download the app, you make an account you say what language you want to learn, They, you give them sort of your general skill level. So for me, I said I went in, did it, said I want to learn Spanish. I said I'm a beginner. Uh, and then whoever the user is, they go through various lessons, and the lessons include verbal and visual tools. Um, and basically you just progress over time, and it's done in bite-sized lessons. So the goal, you set like your goal, let's say 10 minutes a day, and they'll give you a push notification to say, like, hey, log in, get your 10 minutes, your one lesson, whatever it is. Um, And they just really break it down into easy, digestible ways of learning. Uh, And Brad said he's been on it. I've been on it. I enjoyed it. Um, And and it's been fun to do it that way. They have over 40 different languages um, and they operate a freemium model. So learners that are using Duolingo for free receive an ad at the end of each lesson and users who subscribe to Duolingo Plus get it ad free and they get access to some additional features. About 5% of their monthly active users were paid subscribers. Uh, Other elements of the business, they also offer something called the Duolingo English test, which is just an assessment of people's English proficiency. And so it costs $49 to take, and this is not like a subscription service, it's on demand. And so I believe these are done over the desktop, not over your mobile phone. But the reason they provide this is because, because a lot of people, well, the management team is, they had to learn English at one point and so they kind of I think they had this in the back of their minds when they started. I imagine. but a lot of people need to be proficient in English because of the opportunities it can afford. So university admissions, work visas, job applications, things like that uh, kind of require a proficiency exam, an English proficiency exam. Maybe it helps I believe it's required. Um, and right now the existing ones are terrible and they're costly and especially in developing countries. There's some where not every city has a test center, and so you have to travel. So you'll not only have to pay $200 to take the test, you got to travel to get to the test center to take the test, um, and it can just be a real pain. So Duolingo's done this all online, and Duolingo's test results are accepted by over 3,000 higher ed institutions. There was a 1,500% increase in Duolingo's English tests taken this year because test centers were closed down. Um, So that's kind of just another element, and then they state in their S1 that they want to become more of a diverse learning platform, so going beyond just languages to other subjects like reading, writing, math. Uh, And then I'll dive into the history a bit. It was founded by Luis von Ahn and Severin Hacker, so they were both engineers prior to starting Duolingo, and Luis von Ahn was a CS professor at Carnegie Mellon, and Severin Hacker was one of his PhD students. Um, and a MacArthur Fellow. I believe it was Luis von An that was the MacArthur Fellow. If you don't know what that is, it's basically, uh, its slang term is the Genius Grant. So it's where recipients get a $625,000 stipend paid out over five years. Uh, so sounds like a smart guy. And then uh, I believe Luis von on grew up in Guatemala and was fortunate enough to receive a good education. So that was kind of the uh, reason or where the idea was conceived out of he thought everyone could have access to that so together they wanted they tried to build an intelligent learning system and the company was founded in 2011 where it looks like they had a 3.3 million dollars series a to help them get started and then since then they've raised another 180 million dollars in total Sorry, that was long-winded, but a little bit of background and history there. Yeah,
1: I'll hit industry and competition. Digital learning market is expected to be about $160 billion in 2019. Now these are third-party estimates. And you should also remember there that that was pre-COVID. So some more estimates have it growing at a rapid rate over the next few years, something like 20% compound annual growth rate. Some people were estimating it would hit a trillion dollars by like 2030, but I think those are just clickbait headlines um either way it's a very large market growing rapidly uh with duolingo's unique product though they're not only trying to take market share but kind of build out their own um since they're not going after the tra- i mean they are going after them the traditional learning centers and traditional school in general but it is through kind of a bank and almost a trojan horse type of deal and then within the app-based language market so for stuff that is very similar to duolingo's product they have Many, many small competitors. The one that gets good reviews online is called Babbel. It is the 13th ranked on Google Play Store versus number two for Duolingo in the education category. And then when I was scrolling through there, it seemed like something called Cake, Tongo, or other competitors. This is something that's pretty easy to spin up, you'd expect, to just get maybe a few courses or something on there. It doesn't seem like you'd have a giant need for a giant developer team, but to get something as um diverse as Duolingo with all the type of things on there you know it's almost you hate to use the Netflix comparison but it's like there's a bit of an economies of scale where there's so many different things that people want to learn that if you get it all-on-one platform then you'd maybe get some advantage over that so um, it also competes with the traditional language learning and certification markets like schools and universities but again that is not direct and it's more adjacent and right now they may not compete with them directly but from the language they have in the s1 it seems like they're going to get closer and closer to competing with them in they the future
2: s- yeah they said they were 20 times larger than their next closest competitor yeah
1: so, so no one's close but there are competitors out there Rosetta um, Stone or th- those are some older <laughs> ones yeah but I mean that we joke that people kind of just know that as kind of a cliche but it is a competitor uh, for sure Brad. You want to hit
0: management and ownership and if you have anything else on industry or history let us know uh yeah and, and i would just so in terms of of competition I'm, I'm reaching a little bit here and i'm stretching it out a little bit but also going back to reed hastings and how he sort of talked about everyone competing for eyeballs and screen time with us we see as competition so I, i'm thinking about like like youtube and, and places like that that are offering content um even curiosity stream which is a, a startup streaming service that i own um, it, it's all competition. It's intense and, and the opportunity is incredible. So, of course, it's going to be intense. But moving on to management and ownership, um, Luis von Ahn serves as the CEO, as we kind of talked about. It's a really young team. He's just he's just 42 years old at this point, um, skipping ahead through all the accolades that we mentioned. Before the founding, he did lead ReCAPTCHA, which is a fraud detection company purchased by Google. We don't have a ton of Glassdoor ratings on him, but what we do have is, is pretty positive with a 96% approval rating. And just a quote that I pulled from a shareholder letter that that really, um, I guess, hints at, at his passion for the project. Um, this is him. I plan to dedicate my life to building a future and with through technology, every person can access the best education. I love seeing things like dedicate my life when a founder is talking about his project. Um, I know he has to talk up his book. I, I, know, I know he <laughs> has every incentive to make the stock and the company seem incredible, but I, I do enjoy seeing that. Um, now, was
1: it, uh, was it too, you know, sometimes, you know, we saw that with Peloton, too. I forget what their mission was, but it seemed a bit audacious. Uh, I don't know.
2: This is, it, it's, it's obviously pretty nice, but I, it seems a bit broad to me. It, well, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think they're going to progress kind of subject by subject and audience by audience. I do yeah. it slowly, but. Maybe I just get,
1: I have Elizabeth Holmes syndrome. I see stuff like that, and I just get worried that someone's a bit crazy, but he seems incredibly smart. so
0: yeah, I mean I mean, it's there. Everything this company is doing is incredibly ambitious. Um, it's worked so far, but I mean, as as you hear everybody say, past results are not a predictor of future success. So they're going to have to continue being successfully ambitious. But moving on to the second founder, um Severn Hacker, he's just thirty six years old. He founded this company um, and and built the software for this company when he was twenty six. Pretty crazy. Uh, so he doesn't well,
1: have a, I mean, his name's Hacker. So,
0: yeah. So it, it's perfect. So he doesn't have a ton of experience outside of Duolingo just because he basically got his doctorate and then moved on to Duolingo immediately, but he was an intern at Microsoft. Um, so yeah, I, I guess that's some experience to mention. But so we talked about reCAPTCHA being purchased by Google and kind of intuitively, uh, there are several more higher ups from the executive board that came from game development, product development and engineering at Google. Um, also one of the, or, or I guess moving on to ownership, um, what, one of the firms involved is capital G that's, that's another word for Google capital. So Google is a shareholder of this company. They are involved, um, with their venture capital arm institutions own about f- 54.8% of the voting power. And then Luis and Severin together each own 14.6% of the voting power for 29.2% combined. Interestingly, Ashton Kutcher and Tim Ferriss are also invested. I, I thought that was pretty cool. And then just a side note. On share structure. It is all this ownership is in Class B right now, and, and Class A is kind of what they're going to be offering the public. Um, class B comes with 20 times the voting power of Class A shares.
1: All right. Yeah, that was a great overview. I'll say Tim Ferriss is nice. Uh, I like his podcast, but Ashton Kutcher, you know, yeah. invested in WeWork. We might be, you know, I, I don't know about that one, but no, I mean, he's invested in every company, so I can't really, uh, yeah. <laughs> He's like, I'm gonna put ten thousand dollars in every single silicon Silicon Valley company, so we can go on CNBC together. Um, but I, I will hit valuation. But I think we should probably go into the earnings first because we're gonna do the valuation guessing game. Uh, I guess what people should know is the ticker is going to be D U O L. Probably not on any of those things like coifin or whatever Yahoo Finance it. But I'll, Ryan, you want to go through earnings first, and then after that, and actually we'll, we'll go through earnings and then balance sheet, and then we can play that valuation guessing game.
2: Yeah, and. Uh, I just took the 2020 numbers because it was going to get a little tough to do trailing 12 month. So they did grow this quarter um, a little bit. It wasn't a huge, uh, it's not a huge discrepancy between that and the 2020 numbers I imagine. So they had 162 million in revenue in 2020. I didn't drop bookings down here, but bookings tend to just barely exceed revenue in this case um, because it's the subscription nature and that's how they have to account for it. Um, and then seventy-two percent, or revenue grew one hundred twenty-nine percent year over year in twenty twenty. They had seventy-two percent gross margins that ticked up about one percent from twenty nineteen. Uh, negative sixteen million in operating income. They are spending, they're investing through the income statement heavily. They spend about forty percent of their operating expenses on research and development, and that's so, of a percentage of the operating. Kind of yeah. Okay. And then uh, they had about $14 million in free cash flow, but they're spending roughly 10% of revenue on stock-based compensation. So if you uh, pull that back out, they're basically break even cash flow-wise. Uh, and then monthly active users was $39.9 as of the most recent quarter. That was up 19% year-over-year, although it's worth noting, we, we talked about this for a show, be- before the show for a while, there was a boost, we're pretty confident there was a boost Right as COVID hit, because everyone was talking about, like, oh, you got to learn a new language while you're locked down and something like that. I think that was a slight temporary boost and dropped quickly. And then it's come back up gradually. So uh, if you go look at the video, there's like a Duocon video on YouTube. And you look they at might that. be a little
1: small for Duocon. But let's get to a million yeah. in revenue. <laughs> and, <laughs>
2: and, but they have a, a chart that shows they eclipsed 40 million users last year. So that's kind of why that happened was right after COVID. And I'm thinking they had that video out,
1: they chopped it off right in Q1 when they could have had one month of just amazing growth. But either, I mean, they seems like got they've gone back- have to you to the Yes, exactly. It
2: seems like they've gone back to their long-term trend of this. Yeah, and they had uh, 1.8 million paying subscribers. So that's up 64% year over year. And then that subscribers as a percentage of monthly active users has gone from 3% to 4.5% that's good you obviously want to see that uh, and you want to see more and more users start to convert and then I, I just put this down here but it's pretty standard earnings for a digital business where you're just investing heavily through the income statement and just yeah. powering up and try to grab market share fast by r and d and sales we, yeah we've hit free
1: cash flow positive but our, you know it's
2: all from stock- based comp not yeah. that that's a bad thing but you can you, know, you, you can just dress it up it's I don't think if they got lean I don't think this is a business that would struggle to be profitable no no, definitely, not, definitely. it's not very costly
1: so. yeah and i think they only have 400 employees so and that can scale up rather quickly 70
2: of them are engineers
1: Ooh, not as good as robots they have 79 of the whole company's engineers uh but but let's carry on uh balance sheet brad do you want to hit that that will put the valuation guessing game.
0: and and before moving on to balance sheet and liquidity kind of um
1: elaborating more on on this whole
0: concept of lean and, and profitability they called out, which this was one of my favorite parts of their S one, that because of this massive scale that they've enjoyed, they, they've they've achieved or they achieved in 2020 ninety percent of their growth via organic means. And and that's not saying not via MA, that's saying via word of mouth. So they're they're only spending for ten percent of their growth on external marketing as of right now. That changed and in, in New Year's over twenty twenty, they spent about Um, a half of all the marketing dollars they've spent since inception on on a new marketing campaign, which boosted brand awareness, but, but they really have, I mean, they, they, they've done this very efficiently.
2: And I'll also add, like, I mean, just think about the business model. These languages aren't changing. So as long as you have the, you put in the upfront hours to build the catalog full of languages, those costs shouldn't like scale with the business. Those should be really upfront. And so ideally there's a lot of operating leverage here.
1: Yep. And then one, oh gosh, what was I going to say? There's one other note about that. Oh, they only started monetizing in 2017, I believe. So they've started in 2011, but they were basically funded by VCs until 2017. Uh, is that correct, Brad? Do you think? Or?
0: Yeah. Um, and then I'll, I'll head over to the balance before, sheet before we forget that. But they, they take a few years to monetize their product. So, just as an example, the Duolingo ABC product which we might get into later, it is a, a literacy program for kids age three to six. They debuted it in 2020 and they are not planning on monetizing it for a few years. So they really like to, to collect this user data to run what they call these A-B tests, which is essentially just testing two different user interfaces and seeing how the the, the users react. They, they like to do that for a long time for monetizing and it's worked for them so far. So moving now on to balance sheet and liquidity and know that these numbers are going to change when the company IPOs. But as of right now, it has 117 million in cash and equivalents. This is almost all held in money market funds. It has another 18 million in net receivables. But but again, this upcoming IPO is definitely going to bolster the cash position a lot. Uh, since inception, it's raised 183 million. Um, it says in debt and equity financing, but it has zero interest expense, so they have at least they have no current debt on the balance sheet. Um, so so pretty pristine, I'd call it.
1: All right, yeah, quick balance sheet really simple one, like a lot of these VC funded companies. Uh, but let's wrap things up here. What are guesses for what the valuation is going to come out at? Uh, Brad, what are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, um, I'm cringing here because I am going to buy shares of the IPO. And I do think it's going to get crazy. But so I think with General Atlantic, they raised funds at at 2.4 billion um, last year or the year before that, I think it was pretty recent. Um, I, I think five billion is is kind of a, a number that makes my jaw drop a little bit but also a number that I could really see um, happening at the IPO uh, it trades at that 2.4 billion dollar price tag about 17 times gross profit so you could double that um, and it would become one of the most expensive companies on the stock market
2: yeah
1: uh, Ryan what are you
2: yeah it- I don't know because IPOs have been so wild lately. Well, um,
1: it's called the guessing game. It's just a guess. They,
2: uh, you get, you make a guess. Yeah. The, I think it's going to get a premium based on the numbers that I'm seeing on the S1. I think it's an opportune time for them to go public and I think they did it intentionally before they hit these quarterly comps. Written. So I'm going to guess based on the S1 numbers, somewhere between uh, two and four billion. Two and four? That's, I think that's range, low. I think that's
1: low. I'm going to go closer to Brad's. I'm going to go 4.5 billion. If you look at their bookings run rate, which if they have that bookings kind of trailing stuff, um, that could be great. Cause I feel like a lot of people um, look at revenue numbers for like gaming companies and that can really screw up. Uh, it weirdly is a simple opportunity for investors when the bookings are a lot different than the actual revenue. And just to say bookings is the cash they're actually bringing in. So a company that has to defer revenue like this, bookings is the real revenue number and they're at about a $200 million bookings run rate. So at about $4.5 million growing this quickly. That seems about right for the IPOs out there, but you can see it in to five, $6 billion. I and mean, then we saw it globally way higher, UiPath way higher as well. Um, depends how excited people get. But that's gonna be the first half. Uh, let's take a break and we'll get back to the second half of the show.
2: Pluralsight, a tech workforce development company, provides the solutions high-performing engineering teams need to tackle today's biggest challenges, whether it's building the skills individuals and teams need to tackle mission-critical projects, driving cloud transformation, or helping software teams to ship reliable, scalable, and secure code. Harness the collective power of hindsight, foresight, and insight with Pluralsight at pluralsight.com slash
1: all blocked thanks to advanced security included with Cox panoramic Wi-Fi advanced security must be enabled in the panoramic Wi-Fi app restrictions apply okay welcome back we're gonna have anecdotal evidence up first Brad kick things up. yeah and th- this
0: is why I-, I saw the the Duolingo uh s1 and got so excited I, I really like the product um I- I've used it for a while I don't think I'm a monthly active user I use it pretty sporadically but um I do get into it uh, occasionally I'm learning Spanish on it currently, and I was a Spanish student in high school. Um, they did a pretty good job of figuring out how far along I was, and I think it took like five minutes. Um, the, the, the the experience really does feel gamified, and, and that's what they're really going for, trying to get people to enjoy education just a little bit more to get them motivated and excited about learning. Um, we see Robinhood gamifying options trading and, and people yelling at them for that, and rightfully so, but gamifying education seems um, a little more palatable to me. Uh, so, I like the product. I like what they're doing, and I'll probably continue to use it.
1: What would they have to do to get you to become a paying subscriber?
0: Yeah, honestly, um, th- this is one of one of the, uh, I guess, big hesitations I, I have with the company. And, and again, I am buying shares, so it's a pr- it's a it's a big hesitation um, comparatively, but not not all that big. Uh, there's not a ton of compelling features that that they offer for these subscribers uh it lets you skip through content but i don't really care about that personally um it lets you not see an ad every few minutes i don't care about that all that much personally so i think one of the big things going forward is them building out these unique features for subscribers to get them to, to continue driving growth i think they've gone from like four percent penetration last year to five percent this year So a long long way to go
1: um but yeah all right, Ryan. Anecdotal.
2: I completed my first lesson this morning, uh, so I am fluent in Spanish now. No, uh, but it's I like the approach. I, the app really is good. At, like, uh, it's well configured to teach, and it does make it fun. It makes me kind of want to go back. And you can go ahead. Like on that Duocon video, I went into the comments on YouTube, and everyone had the exact same response. They all loved the app. They all liked they all felt motivated again to learn. Um, And it's one of the only YouTube videos I've seen recently where it wasn't just troll comments, like people genuinely liked the product. Um, So as far as customers go, I think everyone kind of loves it.
1: Yeah, for all the things you hate about Robinhood for gamifying investing and personal finance, you kind of invert it for Duolingo. It seems like the best way to go about it using those tactics. Um, I'll just say, I'm definitely gonna try it out. Haven't used it yet, enticed by that product description. Seems good for anyone, but that the conversion to paying is definitely anecdotally kind of one of the red flags that came up in my mind. Uh, future growth opportunities though, Brad, what are your thoughts here?
0: Yep. And this, this surprised me a little bit They're They really fo- I mean, maybe not surprised, but wouldn't have expected that they really focused on North America early on. Um, and so that, that international expansion is in the very early innings and very strong. They didn't give us a number on the Asian MAUs, but it's up 130% year over year. And I think and and the company said this, and I agree with them that the international value proposition is even stronger um, than it is in the in the United States, with over half of their MAUs learning English in some other language. And they call out how English learning is um, uh, powers economic mobility and in all these really deep connections. And and I think I think it's safe to say that that's a more frequent ambition when when you have other countries that don't have English as their national language.
1: Yeah, North America, you got that's. Sp- Spanish influence where a lot of people are trying to learn English to get that proficiency test like uh, we've talked about before, but internationally, there's a ton of people that are trying to learn English as their second language or for whatever reason. As you know, as us Americans, we got to <laughs> say, you guys got to learn our language. We're not learning anything else. Uh, but no, that's just, just joking. Uh, Ryan, <laughs> what is your future growth? You? Uh,
2: so Duolingo ABC, this is their app that's designed to teach early uh Early literacy skills to children ages six or three to six. Um, and it was launched in early 2020 and it shares the same tech infrastructure as their flagship app. This is something they talk about a lot. Having the shared infrastructure between the English test, the ABC, and then the flagship app allows them to innovate faster because there's less redundancies in the code um, and they can just go ahead and build out the more exciting parts. And then uh, this just feels like a really logical market to go after. And if they're going to they aren't, they haven't monetized this yet at all, but I imagine it's the kind of thing where parents, and this is kind of a hunch on my, part, on my part, but parents want their kids spending, if they're spending time on a mobile phone, this is what they want them doing. And this is where gamification is useful, really helpful. Um, and so I imagine a freemium model would have a higher subscription rate as a percentage of users for kids. Um, than maybe one for adults where it's language learning.
1: Yeah, definitely a safer environment than YouTube. There's always those issues with kids getting on YouTube, stuff like that, the recommended yeah. videos, what all happens there. Um, I'll hit mine. Uh, this is more of a tailwind. I think they talk about it a bit, but with COVID-19, all the stuff that's happened with remote work, so like that, everyone knows about that stuff. But people moving around more and then the rise of Airbnb, people moving to places for a month at a time. Now that could just be a short-term fad but stuff like that will definitely benefit them. If people are moving around the world and say, you know, borders are breaking down more because there's these distributed workforces around the globe and that slowly grows over this next decade, the likelihood of people wanting to learn another language seems higher. Cause right now they say there's 1.8 billion people, I believe that want to learn another language and that becomes slowly over time, three, 4 billion and then everyone around the globe that's uh you know we're talking a bit tam insanity there uh but i think it makes sense it could get more, entice more people to use the product um let's go to highlights and lowlights brad what do you like what do you not like about this company i'm
0: gonna do two highlights and one low light so they they called out this study on efficacy in, in the s1 um keep in mind this was all data It all the data was internally sourced not from an independent third party duolingo did this survey on their own so if you'd like to roll your eyes and take it with a grain of salt, that's your prerogative, and I understand. I mean, that's that's powerful stuff if it's real. Um, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt because Luis and, and Severin have given nobody any reason to doubt them. But uh, but yeah, internal data, so keep that in mind. Also, uh, it's rapidly shifting from this monthly subscription plan that it has to annual. Um, they've gone from 40 something percent to 70 something. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but really meaningful. Um, a really meaningful shift. And the vast majority of their input costs are, are this. There is this thirty percent fee they pay to both Apple and Google, and that's for the first twelve months. And after the first twelve months, it goes down to fifteen percent. So if they can get these annual subscribers uh, to keep picking the annual plan, which which means they renew at a four x rate and they produce LTV at a two x rate, this is a really powerful margin tailwind, and, and they're showing that that it's something that we should expect going forward. Uh, yeah. Low Oh, Oh 2000- god.
1: Sorry.
0: Oh, sorry lowlight is uh, so 2019 they called out uh, issues in their in their accounting controls. They hadn't they hadn't hired the appropriate people to audit and, and, and report. Um, so there were issues in, in their reporting. Um, when you're a four or five billion dollar public company, this is completely unacceptable. So this can't happen again. Um, so Duolingo, please don't let this happen again. but but yeah, it, it's a it's a concern whenever even a company with a two billion dollar valuation is struggling with accounting. Um, standards. That's a concern they have since remedied the issue and hired new people. Um, but, but yeah, uh, that's definitely a low light. Yeah.
1: It's fairly normal for that to happen in an S one, especially for a company that may have done that three, four years ago when they were a lot smaller. But I remember when we had Francie McKenna on the uh, financial uh, journalist and forensic. Yeah. yeah. Investigative journalist forensic accountant. And she said the easiest thing to do is just control F on the S one material weakness, Check if they have any. It's really easy to find. You'll see that in the risk factors. And one thing I note on your highlights is with the 72% gross margin, if they're paying these app store fees, that means, you know, they could be X app store fees, 92% gross margin, which seems really strong. And they could get a benefit um, sort of like Match Group and some of those other and some of the video game companies, um, if those app store fees get legislated down. Uh, but I'll let Ryan hit his lowlights and highlights. Should I actually add something really quick to that? Go ahead. We're
0: also seeing we're also seeing Microsoft come out with their own app store and really undercut Apple and Google just um, to say we're with creators and we're not going to take a, a cut. So it'll be interesting to see if a two trillion dollar company like that can put pressure on these gigantic walled gardens to raise their or to lower their fees over time. Um, I'm purely speculating there; it's not super likely, but maybe it could happen.
1: Yeah. Don't bank on it, but it could be a benefit. Yeah.
2: yeah. All right. For me, highlights, I think the app is effective. Uh, I like the way the courses are taught, and I think this could really work really well for younger kids. Um, and then also maybe even use it as like a supplement to the classroom. Let's say if they branched out into literacy type stuff in your writing and you've got... I think, I think they're in a lot of classrooms. I, 40%. Yeah. They're in a ton of classrooms. Yeah. Uh, that seems like a logical kind of market for them to be in kind of almost like a cahoot i guess um what is good uh, that's like the quizzes and type stuff that teachers use it's like a software yeah. tool it's a public company that's like two billion dollars uh, but then lights for me i'm just not sure duolingo plus is that compelling of an offering yet uh, and i don't necessarily like the business just purely on the ad supported side so obviously if they can improve and they are improving that conversion that's good and i think honestly the best way to do that and this is how Spotify did it to me is not just to upgrade the premium the plus version the subscription version but to basically make the experience on the ad supported terrible um, <laughs> no that sounds counterintuitive but if you just bog me down with ads and I can't leave the service or whatever like I'll just subscribe yeah yeah you
1: have to make it a clear difference in the value proposition that seems like a bit of a weakness for them right now
2: but, but the, I mean that's something they can easily fix it's not and they yeah. could kind of, they could just hit their hurdle rate. So let's say a hundred million users, we're going to start bogging down the, the free service.
1: Something like that. Yeah. It's a bit risky. It's kind of a, you're kind of balancing. It's a balancing act. Uh, but we'll see what they end up doing there. Um, all at my highlights, uh, you know, you're not worried about any sort of market saturation here. I think there's almost an endless runway for growth that they execute. And I seem a bit bullish um, and, but I think it's true. The market is huge and there's an opportunity with, you know, we've all heard about it, disrupting education uh, from 2020 onward. I do like how their founder led, all those people seem to check out or uh, the two guys there seem to check out, but probably want to look more into them because you're really betting on them at this point. Um, and one thing I like is that all the stakeholders win if Duolingo succeeds. So it, unlike Robinhood, who from our point of view, we think are exploiting you know, users sometimes, by gamifying uh, finance and making it a casino, which is a bad thing, but a good thing for Robinhood. If Duolingo gamifies it, everyone wins, you know, advertisers win, uh, teachers win, people, the people that use it win, and then Duolingo wins, it's kind of a, you know, the net zero sum stuff, Uh, or no, non-zero sum, excuse me. Um, And then the unit economics are really strong. You can see them getting to, you know, 20, 30% cash flow profit margins the long-term, but lowlights here, Uh, one that, uh, I don't think any of you guys did. I believe there might be a tail risk from someone like Google translate. There's always been people talking about how, and this may not occur for a long time or if ever, uh, of making it so you don't have to learn another language where if you just speak with someone, you can almost instantaneously get translated for you. That could be a long ways away. You guys understand what I'm describing or other hardware providers. Yeah, I mean, it's just Google, uh, just insert anyone for Google Translate. That just seems like the biggest candidate with their uh, capabilities there. Yeah. But that is some sort of tail risk where learning a new language isn't necessary anymore. Uh, seems a long way off. and might never happen. Um, I do worry about the one-time COVID boost. Uh, did that, you know, artificially accelerate growth? And, you know, maybe they weren't actually on that good of a track. It's kind of hard to tell. I would love to look at inside the, you know, the 2016, 2017, 2018 numbers. And then the conversion to paid subs seemed weak. Um, that is something I worry about. Although it is getting better over time, I would love to see that number rise. Um, all right, bull case. Brad, what are your thoughts on the bull case here?
0: Yeah, and I've accidentally taken a couple of Ryan's points uh, before he said them. And I, I'm reading that I'm going to take another. So I'm going to pivot super quick. Um, so I'll go with... I'll, I'll go with that subscription conversion that they can they can really make it more compelling um, and and that's a really interesting point of making the free version less compelling just to make the subscription um, comparatively more compelling um, but yeah I mean five percent isn't isn't a massive number they've gone from zero percent in 2017 and, and then one percent in 2018 and four percent last year and five percent this year so it's ticking up um, but it's really it's a slow crawl uh, and, and getting that to accelerate, um, I, I really think is, is, a, is a, would be a, will obviously be a very powerful tailwind for the company's
1: business.
2: All right, Ryan. Uh, Bull case for me, there is obviously a large market. They're able to branch into other areas. I do like the bite-sized learning approach. And if they are sort of the dominant one in the market, uh, which I think they can be, I think they already are, um, there's obviously going to be good returns pending a fair evaluation. Yeah, yeah. And again, it's hard. It's, it's hard to make any. Decisions. Yeah, it's assuming they go
1: out of you know premium multiple like the rumors are saying. Uh, it, with no market cap, so the bull case or the bear case. But I'm just gonna put it on, I like, all right. If you expect them to get to one billion dollars annual bookings, uh, which would be five x from here. I mean, the key driver is going to be paying subscribers, which is very simple. It is their, not, over eighty percent of their uh, bookings. So. It's gonna drive the most of their financial growth. And then if I was invested in this company, I would be looking for how management is talking about how they can continue to increase free to paid conversion metric, which has grown from, it was 4% like a year ago, and then now it's 5% conversion from MAU to paid. Growing that over time is gonna be a big uh, boost for them because if they have over 500 million downloads, I think a lot of people are aware of the product but driving people to pay for it is going to be the big driver going forward. Um, bear case though, what what kind of downsides are we seeing here, Brad?
0: I, I don't think the, the bear case is, uh, is a catastrophe like with some other companies we've covered. I think the bear case is that this is just a language learning app. And I think the TAM is like $61 billion for language learning versus 6 trillion for, for educational spend. Um, take TAM with a grain of salt, but you get an idea that if they can move from a language company to a digital education company, they can 100x their already massive market. Um, and, and I think I think that's the path forward. We, we talked about they're going into language arts and they're going into mathematics and, and all of these new subjects. And if, if they can pull it off, I, I really think there's a lot of upside there. All right, Ryan.
2: Yeah, for me, the bare case is that this gets priced like they have a successful expansion guaranteed, um, into other markets because that part will be hard. Um, and then there's also as good as the financial seem right now, whenever there's like language learning stuff like this, or even like,
1: or I we're talking about like, Coursera too, kind of Yeah, with that. It's sure like, like
2: the risk of trendiness, like, like how, I know it doesn't seem like it when you have 40 million MAUs, but could it be a bit of a fad? Like, is there the possibility that someone comes along and can do the same thing? that yeah. there is that risk uh, right now. It seems like they're the leader and it seems like they're the best product. I like the app, but there's always that risk. Yeah.
1: And that's the whole, you have to believe in the, and they say it explicitly, the gamification of learning. If that can totally, if that's just way better value proposition from people from three years old up to, you know, 80 years old, then that could change. But there is that worry that ceiling and that's not my number one bear case or potential bear case, is the number of paying subscribers hits a ceiling. I would worry that it can't get much past 5 million. I'm just unsure of how many people are willing to pay for a product like this. And then, like I mentioned, the Google Translate type thing, if that becomes the, it gets the AI capabilities, like a lot of people speculate, again, not guaranteed to happen, but there is tail risk there for a product that would render a second language learning unnecessary. Now, Duolingo could come up with that, but I think there's no way. It would be a lot harder for them to do that versus someone like Google. Uh, but the bear case, I don't know, can we sum it up as subscribers stall? Yeah, That's kind of the sum up here. Brad, anything else on that?
0: Yeah, in, and in terms of the, the Google risk, I kind of see it, not the exact same thing, but, but in terms of a, a really great calculator that does all of this math and, and work for us. Um, I, I think that it will dampen demand, but I don't think it will eliminate demand for people wanting to, to learn a new language, but regardless, good point will dampen demand for sure.
2: It is. Yeah. It's, it's kind of interesting because if you could just plug in Google translate to like AirPods and it could immediately translate what someone says, uh, in yeah. your, <laughs> now we're sounding like VCs. <laughs> but, like, I think or, or like, how do you do it the other way though? I mean, I guess maybe it's possible. Um, Yeah.
1: No, the thing about that is you worry about people sounding robotic, lost in translation, stuff like that, uh, which you can't get, you know, you can't get a full immersion unless you learn that second language legitimately. Um, But yeah, that's kind of the downsides there. Very simple model. So pretty easy to see what the, the upside and the downside is, but let's wrap things up more or less interested. Brad, we know that you're more interested, but maybe just give a few reasons why.
0: Yeah, uh, more interested. Really appreciate this conversation as always. Um, good to consider things in, in a more um, cautious light than I often consider things when I'm excited about a company, like I'm excited about this one. Um, but more interested, I'm going to own shares at the IPO. Again, maybe a small little nibble if it's ridiculous, but um, very excited to own this company. And as long as uh, there's no abrupt change to my thesis, which is always a possibility, I'm excited to own it for the long term.
2: All right, Ryan. I'm more interested and I'm cautiously optimistic about the business. Uh, It's, uh, yeah, it kind of depends on price. Obviously price matters, but I like the business. I like management. I like where they can go. Um, Yeah, it's, I'll go more interested. Yeah. I'm more interested too. Numbers look great. There are those worries that we talked
1: about. I worry about the moat. I'm a little bit unsure about the moat a bit, you know, it seems like they have the best product, but this is an industry which, and I'm saying like digital learning, where there's been a lot of upstarts, I guess. There's been a lot of people trying things out and then afterwards they may just seem trendy like a few years, so that's kind of the worst for me. But I'm definitely more interested. This company is probably gonna go on my watch list and I'll be tracking you know, how they're doing. Uh, seems like a great business. And we got the stock for next week. It is my turn. Uh, and we got this one as a recommendation. Uh, we're going to do Matterport. It yeah. is a SPAC. Uh, so we're landing back into SPAC land. I think they're about to merge and go public under their new name. But the um, the SPAC is called oh, sponsor. Gosh, Gores. Yeah, the sponsor is Gores Holding the 6th. F- uh, so it's their 6th back?
2: Josh, <laughs> cool. we'll fund it.
1: That's yeah, Lux Capital. Yeah. Lux yeah. Capital was one of their investors. It's one of these high-tech ones. Um, they talk a lot about a giant TAM too, so it should be, should be similar, but really, really fun. It's going to be really fun to want to talk about. This one was fun as well. Glad to talk about Duolingo, but let's hit the outro. Remember we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on this show is not formal advice or recommendation. Ryan and I are general partners at Arch Capital. Arch Capital clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time.